Iron City. How are we doing this morning? Outstanding, outstanding. Well, I appreciate the introduction by Cody and uh, I respect Cody so much. I love him dearly. I love his family. And so it's an honor to be able to fill the pulpit for him today. And I'm excited to do so. And I feel honored. I also, uh, as Andrew said, I have lots of friends, Andrew being one of them here at the church. And so it's a privilege to be able to worship with you today. And I love singing those few songs there. And the Lord really ministered to my heart as we worshiped him together. I'm so excited about that. Um, what you'll, what you'll need to know is that I have good news and bad news, depending on who you are and, and what you think of me. The good news is I'll be back next week. Um, it may be bad news depending on what you think about today. Um, but we're going we're gonna to continue rolling in the book of Philippians today uh, because that's where you guys have been. And I offered that to Cody because I think he's got his schedule. And so we're going we're gonna to be looking at Philippians both today and tomorrow. But I want to just jump right in by telling you that I uh, have an, had an opportunity to go to probably near, uh, 30 high school cross-country races in the last few years, and I've, I've learned to love that sport. Uh, I've learned to love cross-country. And I wanted to run when I was younger, but we didn't have cross-country, and kind of, I think they had it out west, and so I would watch Scholastic Sports America and Chris Fowler back in the day on Saturday mornings, and I'd be like, I really want to run. So... So now I get to go to these races because of FCA affords me the opportunity to do that and my son runs as well. And a few weeks ago, I was at a race up at Pleasant Valley High School and there were three heats. I guess they call them heats. There were two boys races and one girls race. And as I, as I watch races, I actually try to go to as many spots on the course as possible. They, they run through the woods and out in the open and, and in this case on a football field for part of it and around a track and, 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 and through, the, through the forest, so to speak. And so I watched the girls race. And when the, the starter said, on your mark, get set, and then shot the gun, boom, it was evident to me and to everyone who was at this race there, there was one particular individual female who was clearly out to win this race. The look on her face, the determination in her body, the, the focus that she clearly had, she bursted out across the football field, went through underneath the goalpost, around the track, ran up the mountain, and as she was doing so to get into the woods, she distanced herself 25 yards, 50 yards, 75 yards out in front of the rest of the runners. And so I, I'm finding my place at the different points in the course that, that uh, you can watch the race, and I would run over, and I see she's now stretched her lead out to, to 500 yards or so. And they run two laps up there at Pleasant Valley through the forest and everything. And so I caught a few different places, but on the second lap, at about mile 2.5, there's nobody that's come through in minutes, and, 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 and all of a sudden I hear this noise, and I look up. And it is this girl from St. James Catholic High School who is running and she is tumbling down this hill as fast as she can with these long strides fixed on her goal. And as I watch her come by, I am amazed at the intensity with which she is running. And y'all, I waited for two minutes and 45 seconds for the next runner to come by. If you don't know anything about cross country, that is an eternity. 
She ends up winning the race by three minutes and 12 seconds. Now, I want you to know, when I saw her coming down that hill and her eyes fixed and her gait lengthened and her chest up and perfect form and heading straight, she's not looking behind her. She's not worried about who's behind her. She is racing to the end of the race. I thought to myself, I want to chase after Christ that way. I want to chase after Christ that way. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. Would you please turn there with me? As you're turning there, I want to preach to you a message today titled Press On. Press On. The big idea of the message is this. Your position in Christ should lead you to your pursuit of Christ. Your position in Christ should lead you to pursuit of Christ. And if you would, just humor me for a moment. Repeat after me. My position in Christ should lead to my pursuit of Christ. That is the big idea, the banner over the message today. Let's get a running start, pardon the pun. Let's get a running start starting in verse 1. You guys have already studied this passage, but we're going to read verses 1 through 16 today and focus in on 10 through 16. Paul says to the Philippian church, the church that he planted the church that was sprouting, was growing um, of people who were different. They were all shapes, sizes, colors, financial backgrounds, but they'd come together because of their like-minded faith in Jesus Christ. And he says to them, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecute of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So when we say 
Your position in Christ should lead you to your pursuit of Christ. This is what we're saying. Your position of being justified, declared righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. If you are a Christian in here today, it is not because you have been good enough. It is not because you have done great works. It is not because you have helped enough old ladies across the street or given enough money to people who are in need. While every one of those things is good, you are declared righteous because you have believed in the righteous Jesus Christ. So your position in Christ should lead you to something. And that is exactly what Paul says. Look down at verse 10 and following. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but... I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Your position in Christ should lead to your hot pursuit of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to give you right now are three ways to respond to your position in Christ. Three ways to respond to your position in Christ that follows the example and the instruction of the Apostle Paul. The first way to respond to your position in Christ Okay, I'm a child of God. I'm loved by him. I'm a receiver of his mercy and grace and love and and his compassion upon my soul. I am in the family of God because God has declared me righteous through his son. What do I do now? This is what you do now. Number one, pursue Jesus Christ. Pursue Jesus Christ. What does that look like? What does that mean? Paul tells us what it means. Number one, pursue the knowledge of Christ. He says that I may know him, that I may know him. And you're like, wait a minute, Paul. I thought you already knew him. You've been walking with him for 30 years, for goodness sake. I mean, he's the one who arrested you on the Damascus road and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, from that moment, you've known the Lord Jesus. How can you now say, I want to know him? And this is what Paul is saying. I'm not talking about just objective knowledge. I'm not talking about knowing about him. I'm talking about truly knowing my Savior. He's talking about intimacy here. If you look up the word intimacy in the dictionary, what you're going to find is a close, familiar, affectionate, loving, personal relationship with another person. And that's exactly what the apostle Paul wanted. 
You see, to know Christ is not merely to have an intellectual comprehension about the person and work of Jesus. I could probably bring every one of you in this building up here singularly, one at a time, and you could probably tell me a number of things about Jesus Christ. Does that mean that you know him? No, it doesn't mean you know him. That, that's the difference. He said, I want to know him. I want to experience him. I want to draw close to the heart of Christ. If, if you want to know Paul's great ambition in his life, that is it right here, that I may know him. And what does that mean? That I may draw closer and deeper into the heart of my Savior. So, knowing Christ was his ultimate goal. Now, we have to ask the question, how do we know Christ better? Like, how, how do you become more loving and affectionate and intimate in your relationship with Jesus so that, so that you delight in him? And I wanna, I wanna just say a few statements here that, that can help you dive deeper into the heart of the Savior. The first statement is this, learning from Christ produces love for Christ. You're not going to go deeper into the heart of Christ if you distance yourself from who he is, his teaching, his example, his ministry, as we read about him in the word. You see, learning from him produces loving more of him. Learning produces loving. Learning produces loving. Learning produces loving. Second, I would say reflection on Christ produces affection for Christ. So I read, I read the gospel, the gospel of John or something, and I see Jesus in all of these passages. And we were talking about him being the great I am. And you know, in the gospel of John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Before Abraham was, I am. As we were singing that song, I was reflecting on that. And I was just reflecting on the reality that he is all of those things for me. He is my light. He is my shepherd. He is my gate. He is who he is for me. He is eternally existent, eternally present. That's what that means, I am. Now listen, reflection on Christ in that way produces an affection for Christ so that we get deeper into his heart. Seeing the glory of Christ leads to celebrating the glory of Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you saw some of these songs and people getting really excited about what they were singing. And in your heart, you're just like, what in the world? This is just so weird. This is what I would encourage you to do. Open up the Bible to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and begin to behold and see the glory of Jesus in his perfect personhood, in his gracious work, in his loving actions. And the more you see him, the more the Lord will draw you into the, into the heart of Christ and you will be able to celebrate him like they do. We had a fields of faith. I, I served with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and we had our fields of faith that we do annually up at Jacksonville State this week. And we offered a 16-day challenge to read the Gospel of Mark one chapter a day for 16 days. And we had 42 young people sign up for that challenge. And we've got them all in a group me message. And I'm participating in that. And I want to tell you something. In chapter one this week, uh, Jesus was, was uh, tempted by Satan. And the Holy Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted by Satan. 
and he withheld every single temptation that Satan offered. And I reflected on that and I realized, you know, I have a, I have a savior who is not distant from the temptations that I face every day. He knows them, he's experienced them and he can relate to me and I can relate to him in that way. In Mark chapter two, he actually for, he forgives the sins of a man who can't walk. And people are like, Why, what is going on? But this is the thing, he, he heals him too and lets him walk up, walk out of that room. But he forgives his need. He forgives the, 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 the part of his life that needs eternal life. And, and as I walked away from that, I thought, I've got a Savior who meets me at the point of my deepest darkness and shines light into that and brings me out of that place. In Mark chapter 3, as he's carrying about his ministry, he, he envelops people with his love and he calms the waters. If you read the gospel of Mark, like he goes out there and he actually calms the wind and the rain and the storm and he brings everything at peace. And this was my thought. If I've got a savior who can calm the wind and the sea, then he can meet every trouble that I personally have. But see, in that, as I'm reflecting on Christ, as I'm reading his word, I'm drawing deeper into his heart so that I can know him and love him and appreciate him and enjoy him. And that's the idea that Paul has. He is, you've got to pursue the knowledge of Christ if you're going to pursue Jesus Christ. We've got to pursue the power of Christ. Next, he says, not only do I want to know him, I want to know the power of his resurrection what does it mean, Paul, that you want to know the power of his resurrection? Paul would say, he said, I want, to, I want to know the life-giving power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what I want to know. I know that resurrection power flows from the Father into Jesus in that tomb. It raises Jesus up from the dead. And, and in doing so, it defeats death and hell and sin and darkness and depravity and the demons and Satan himself and, and raises him up from the dead and ultimately goes into heaven and that power belongs to Christ and then it flows through the Holy Spirit into the life of every person who believes in Jesus. And Paul says, I want that power. I want to know that power in my life. And so Paul did not want to live an average Christian life that could be easily explained by his natural giftings, his oratory ability, his, his toughness, or anything of the, the, the sort. He, he wanted to live in such a way in the power of God that he would have a powerhouse of a life and a ministry so that wherever he went, families would be impacted, churches would be impacted, communities would be impacted, regions would be impacted. He wanted to know that kind of power. Church, I want you to know that in Christ, there is power over sin. There is power over depression. There is power over struggles. There is power over conflict. There is power for ministry. There is power for life. There is power for leadership. There is power for faith. There is power that you need to live in the life that you have right now, in the circumstances that you're under, in the situations that you have that you think, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I want you to know that what you can do about this. Tap into the resurrecting power of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's available to you today. So, 
I want you to pursue the knowledge of Christ. I want you to pursue the power of Christ. And this one is a little bit odd, but look down at the text. Pursue the sufferings of Christ. What? Pursue the sufferings of Christ? He says that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul is actually talking about participating in the sufferings of Christ not the redemptive suffering of Christ. I mean, when he talks about the actual redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, he uses words like blood and death and cross and redemption. He's not talking about that redemptive work. There's nothing that you and I can do to add to the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross, but it is a way for him to speak about the persecutions that Jesus received because of his identity also fall on us because we identify with him. And he says, I want to experience that so that I can know him more. There there is blessing that comes when you share in the sufferings of Christ that don't come any other way. You see, when you and I enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, we're not alone. You see, Christ is with us. When we endure pain, he endures pain with us. There is no sorrow. There is no experience that he does not, that he leaves us away from and doesn't endure or hasn't endured himself. Listen to this. A preacher that I heard recently said, suffering is a path deep into the heart of God. God has special revelations of his glory for his suffering children. You know, your pastor is suffering. And he has been suffering in a variety of ways for what the better part of four or five years. And I want to say this honestly, I do not envy him. I'm not jealous of his circumstance. But this is what I also know there is going to be for Cody Hell a depth of fellowship with the living God that some of us may not ever know this side of heaven. And there will be a reward of glory that will be unique to his experience of sufferings for Christ. And so Cody, if you watch this at some point, brother, I do not envy you. I'm not jealous of you, but I will say this. I know you're going deep into the heart of God and on the other side, you're going to experience his glory in a way that some of us may not ever. And so press on, press on. Peter actually put it this way. He says, if we are reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In other words, Peter compliments Paul there and he says, God reserves a special coming and a special resting of the spirit and his glory on his children who suffer for his name. Paul kind of adds to that statement and he says, becoming like him in his death. If you're looking down at verses 10 and 11 there. And he's just saying, listen, we become like him in his death. We're so united to Christ. We're so much in him and he is so much in us that we have been crucified with Christ, Romans 6, that we have been buried with Christ, Ephesians 2, that we are made to sit with Christ in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2. We are called to suffer with him and we are being glorified with him, Romans chapter 8. And church, I want to quote to you Hudson Taylor, one of the great missionaries. He says, there are not two Christs, 
an easygoing Christ for easygoing Christians and a suffering, toiling Christ for exceptional Christians. There is only one Christ. And are you willing to abide with him? So pursue the knowledge of Christ, pursue the power of Christ, pursue the sufferings of Christ, and pursue the glory of Christ. Look down at the end of verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That, that by any means, whatever has to happen, I want to attain, I want to reach the resurrection from the, from the dead, Paul says. This is an expression of great expectation. Paul is confidently looking forward to that final day where he would be found completely in Christ and clothed with Christ's righteousness. He has the end in view. And, and, and someone would be like, wait a minute, I, how, aren't you assured of that? Well, listen, you know about our salvation there are really three aspects to our salvation. Can, can you say with me that, that, that I was saved? I am being saved. And one day I will be saved. It's called justification, sanctification, glorification, past, present, future. And, and what Paul is looking for is that future salvation where everything is unveiled, the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he sees his savior face to face. And not only does he see him, he becomes like him in purity and righteousness and flawlessness. That's what he's looking forward to attaining. Pursue the glory of Christ. Pursue his glory. When we attain to the resurrection from the dead, we are going to be able to know Christ perfectly. We will share his glory and see him as he is. Okay. So pursue Jesus Christ. Next instruction I want you to have is to press on in your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Press on in your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Press on with humility. Look at the great apostle Paul. I mean, this man has planted churches all over the Roman empire. He has preached the gospel in the face of people who hated him. He's been stoned, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, left for dead, imprisoned multiple times. And yet this man who is really responsible for the expansion of the gospel all throughout Rome and therefore all throughout the world, what does he say? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He's like, I, I just, I'm not there yet. I, I'm, I, I'm not who I want to be, but praise God, I'm not who I used to be, Paul would say. I mean, I, I haven't arrived yet, but, but praise God, I'm not that same Saul who used to persecute the followers of Jesus. Humility says that. Humility says, I, I haven't arrived yet, but by God's grace, I'm going to get there. I'm not what I can be. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. But by the grace of God, I'm not what I used to be. Humility says, I am the chief of sinners. That's what Paul said about himself. I am the chief of sinners. And so this is what he's saying to start off with. He says, look, I want to know him. I want, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to see him one day face to face. But I need everybody to know that I don't feel in any way that I've arrived. But I'm going to press on with humility. I'm going to keep pressing. So press on with humility. Press on with confidence. Look down at the text. But I press on 
to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This, this word press on, it means to run, to flee, to strain, to try to catch a person or to try to catch a thing. It's used often in, in terms of a sprinter who is lengthening his stride and elevating his chest and leaning forward and pumping his arms. It is that word dioko. It's like, I want to press on toward the prize. He says, oh, I press on with confidence. And the reason that he is confident and the reason he keeps running is because he knows one thing that every one of us need to know this morning. If we're a believer, Christ Jesus reached down into your life and your heart and plucked you out of the darkness of your sin. He plucked you out of your own depravity and your own destiny of being a child of wrath. And he transferred you over into the kingdom of God. And he gave you his identity and his righteousness. He's made you anew. And let me tell you, those whom he plucks out of darkness and puts into the light, he never takes them out of the light and puts them back into darkness. And because of that, Paul is running with confidence toward Christ because Christ had laid hold of him and attained him with great aggression. So press on with confidence. Press on, look down at the text, with forgetfulness and forward straining. I know that's a little laborious, of a wording, but press on with forgetfulness and forward straining. He says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The first two runners to ever break the four minute mile barrier were a man by, from the United Kingdom named Roger Bannister and a man from Australia named John Landy. And I think Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile barrier on his own uh, like a week or two before John Landy did. And as fate would have it, the two were actually coming together for a race a month or two after that up in, I think it was uh, Ontario, if it was Vancouver. It was in Vancouver in 1954. And there was so much buildup to the race because nobody had ever broken the four-minute mile barrier and both of them had done it separately and now they're racing against each other. And they're racing around a quarter-mile track. And there are other runners, for sure, seven or eight of them. But in 1954, at the Empire Games in Canada, they line up against each other and they begin to run. And if you've never watched that race, you can see it on the internet. Just type in Roger Bannister, John Landy, and the race will come up. And as they are running against each other, ultimately John Landy begins to take the lead. And he makes it around quarter mile in record time and, and then around for the half mile in record time. And, and Landy distances himself, but in second is Roger Bannister. And Roger Bannister is following behind him a, a, a little ways, maybe six or seven strides or so, and they, they make it around lap three. And they're going for the final lap in, in lap four, and they're coming almost down to the, to the last, to last stretch, maybe 70 meters left. And I want to tell you something that John Landy did. He made a fatal mistake. As he's running, he cannot hear the, the feet falling of Roger Bannister. And so as he's running, he glances back. And as he glanced back, 
Do you know what Roger Bannister did? Passed him on his right side. Because when you are a skillful, proficient runner, one little tick, one little alteration of the gate will cause you to lose a race. And that is exactly what John Landy did. And Roger, Roger Bannister finished that race in three minutes, 58 seconds and eight tenths. And John Landy finished it in three minutes, 59 seconds and six tenths. Landy looked back. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm running a race toward Jesus Christ. I'm striving for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know his power. I want to know his sufferings. And I want to know his resurrection. And have I accomplished a lot in the gospel ministry? Have we done some good things? Have we planted some churches? Have we seen people cross over from death to life? Absolutely we have, but I'm not gonna rest on my laurels. I'm not gonna stop toiling and stop working. I'm gonna press on toward Christ no matter what. Until he comes or I die, I'm gonna strain forward and I'm not gonna look back. And on the flip side, he said, have I made some mistakes? Did I get into a big argument with Barnabas and lose our ministry together for years because I was a bit of a hothead? And have I come across in ways that have possibly hurt people, their feelings, and maybe they've even left the church because of my strength or whatever the case may be? Yeah, that's possibly true, but I'm going to forget all of that and I'm going to strain forward to what lies ahead because I don't want to be hindered in my pursuit of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to ask you, this question, church. Do you have a problem of looking back? Like, are you in any way paralyzed by your past failures? Like, you, you, just, you just won't pursue Christ with everything with a significant amount of confidence because you did this. Or you failed miserably in this area or you hurt these people. Well, I want to tell you, listen, come underneath the blood of Jesus Christ and confess your sins and just run as hard as you can toward Christ. Like flush it, forget it, and fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you this. Are you like pacified over here by all of your successes as a believer or as a minister, like you've done some really good things. God's given you a lot of success. He's, he's allowed you to win people to Christ or you've served a long time in the kids ministry and you're just done with that. Or, or, or you used to go door to door and zealously share Christ with others. And you can remember all the people who have been helped by your ministry and by your love. And, and now you just sit on the lazy boy and you click on the television on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights and Thursday nights. And you just laid back and, and you're letting other people, it's other people's turn to do the work now. Listen, that is not the mindset of the apostle Paul. And that is not the mindset of somebody who wants to press on toward Christ. Don't be pacified by your past success. Press on toward Jesus Christ with your whole heart. Following the example of the apostle Paul. Press on with vision. Press on with vision. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God 
in Christ Jesus. It's a unique phrase, unique statement that sounds good. You're like, what is he actually talking about? What is he actually saying there? Paul has this vision that he's in a race. He's pressing on, that striving, leaning forward. And, and that goal that he's talking about is actually the finish line. And he's like, I'm trying to get to the goal, the finish line, because beyond the finish line is the prize. Now, in the Isthmian Games, the prize was actually a victory wreath that was ornate and wonderful. And if you had that wreath, then, then everybody knew you were the winner. You were the decorated champion. But in Paul's spiritual language, he's actually, I'm looking for the finish line. It's either my death or Christ's return. Whichever one comes first, I'm getting to that in order to get the prize. The prize is not a wreath. The prize is not a crown. The prize is not something material. The prize is Jesus Christ himself. And he said, I'm straining for that, and I'm fighting for that, and I'm toiling for that. And let me just summarize something here. And please follow me. The eternal Son of God went on a mission from heaven. Though he received all worship, praise, and honor from angels, he took his mission from God the Father. He condescended to come to planet Earth. He was born of a virgin in a humiliating birth, surrounded by animals and, and dung and no fanfare whatsoever. He is raised up and he lives a perfect life as a son, as a brother, as a friend, as a neighbor. He starts his ministry and he lives perfectly, righteously. He heals the sick. He makes the lame to walk. He makes the blind to see. He raises the dead to life. He preaches the gospel of good news so that anybody who believes in him will not perish. But instead of getting a crown of gold and silver and pearls and jewels, he gets a crown of thorns put on his head. He is blasphemed, ridiculed, mocked, and beaten. He is put up on a cross and nailed his hands and his feet. And on that cross, he receives the unrighteous wrath of men and the holy righteous of an angry God against sin. He is up on that cross for hours. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer to that question is so that 2000 years later, there would be a group of people in White Plains, Alabama, who would never have to be forsaken by God, the father, because he receives that forsakenness on their behalf. He says it is finished. He dies. He's buried in a tomb. But on the third day, he raises from the dead. He ultimately ascends into heaven where he is right now at the Father's right hand, interceding on behalf of people like me and you. But one day the trumpet will sound and the clouds will part and there will be a white stallion that comes out of those clouds and every person, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now listen, when we're talking about pressing on, when we're talking about going all the way to the finish line, we've got to have a vision of glory that one day we're going to be among that people. We're going to be underneath that man's, that, the Christ Jesus, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings authority, and it is going to be glorious. And when we have that vision, it kind of makes us get off our lazy boy. It kind of makes us take on a new attitude of pressing on for the sake of Christ no matter where we are, no matter what our station in life is, for the glory of his name. Let's, uh, let's look finally down at the text. Practice maturity in your pursuit of Christ. Practice maturity in your pursuit of Christ. 
Practice maturity in your thinking. In your thinking. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Apocalypso. It's where we get our English word apocalypse. The revelation. The the dispensing of the revealing of Almighty God. And what Paul is saying is, listen, some of you are not mature yet. You're still immature in your thinking. And he's saying, my desire is to know Christ, his power, his sufferings, his resurrection. My desire is to pursue him with all that I am and all that I have until my life on earth is done. And he says, this needs to be your desire too. And if it's not your desire, God is going to bring a mature way of thinking to you the more you press into his scriptures, the more you press into uh, biblical leadership and love and pastoral care, the more you press into your prayer life. Practice maturity in your thinking. And then practice maturity in your loyalty. Look finally down at 16. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true, hold true to what we have attained. Practice maturity and your loyalty to Christ. When the Cheyenne Indians were going into battle, they had a a warrior who rode out in front of them. He was called the dog soldier. He would ride out in front and when the fighting against the opposing tribe or the opposing army got its fiercest, its hardest, and and neither side knew which one would win, the dog soldier would dismount his horse. He had a stake in his hand and he would drive that stake into the ground and he had a rope that was connected to the stake and also connected to his wrist a dog, a dog soldier, and he would fight the fight until the fight was over, no matter what happened. He was not going anywhere. He was stuck in place. No matter what the pressure, no matter what the fight, no matter what the opposition did, the dog soldier stayed in place as if to say, I stand my ground for my tribe. You know what we need? We need some dads to be dog soldiers for their families. We need some Sunday school teachers to be dog soldiers for their class. We need some coaches to be dog soldiers for their teams. We need some friends to be dog soldiers for their peers. We need some students in this church to be dog soldiers for their peer group. That no matter what happens, they're not going anywhere for the glory of Christ. They're gonna stand their ground for the good of everybody around them. I recently read about the Olympic Games in 1968 were held in Mexico. And it was uh, the conclusion of the Olympics and it was the marathon run and thousands upon thousands were gathered in the stadium to see the final run, the final aspect of the marathon as 
as the, as the winners came across the finish line, they, 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 they came to just a roaring clap and applause. And a runner from Ethiopia actually won the race. But miles and miles back was a runner by the first name of John. He, he's from Tanzania, so I won't say his whole last name. But John was miles back. John had suffered a fall. He had injured his hip, his side, his leg, his knee, and he could barely walk. He bandaged himself up and hobbled nearly the last 12 miles of the race. Everybody but just a couple of thousand people had already left the Olympic Stadium. There are only just a few people left. And here John comes hobbling across the finish line. And in the tent after the race, they said, John, everybody was trying to get you to quit the race. You were injured. There was nothing to prove. And he said, my country did not send me over here to start the race. They sent me over here to finish it. And I want to ask you this. If a man can be so loyal to his nation, Tanzania, and to the colors on his flag, green, blue, black, and gold, and the people back in his community for his nation, how much more should we press on for the glory of Jesus Christ, the Savior? I'd like to ask the musicians to come up and let's have a song of response and let's, let's contemplate today how it is that the Lord Jesus wants us to press on in the fight of faith. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at nine o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.